Welcome to Rex's Bible Minute, a weekly podcast where we talk about Jesus, Christianity, and anything along those lines. Um, we are in our study of John's letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and this is our last week of it. So if it's your first time here with us, then by all means, you've missed a lot. It's time to go back and start at the beginning. Um, this is week number 14. It's also going to be the last week. So um, we have made it all the way through John's letters. Um, John wrote other stuff in the Bible, Revelation, the Gospel of John, um, but we didn't cover any of that. We're just talking about these three letters because they kind of work together, and a lot of really smart people think they were probably written together. Um, or very close together anyway. So um, let's let's get into this. Let's finish this thing up. We're going to cover the entire book that we call 3 John, which is actually a letter, in one go today. Um, and so, as always, it was written by John, the apostle, the guy from the Gospels who wrote the Gospel of John, Jesus' cousin, actually. Um, and it was written at the end of John's life from southwestern Turkey, where a city called Ephesus was. It's abandoned today. I don't know that I've ever said that, but Ephesus is abandoned today. Um, it was kind of an artificial dock, and uh, when Rome kind of backed off spending the money it took to keep that going, um, the river that was man-made back to the city dried up, and there you go. No more, uh, no more city. So it, it's still there, but it hasn't been inhabited for a long time. But anyways, it used to be one of the five biggest, well, five most important cities in the Roman Empire when John was writing this. And so he's writing at the end of the first century, and he's come. He's been talking about this whole time as we've been studying these three letters. Uh, he's the 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 cultural influence on Christianity. About these people are coming in and and merging the Platonic ideas of the the Roman Greek world that they lived in, the idea that flesh is bad, spirit is good, and so this world is gone, and then the melting that and mishmashing it uh, to say crazy things about Jesus and Christianity that, that turn it into something that's not Christianity at all. Um, and so John's talked about that, and that's big for our context. So he's writing um, in that context, and First John was written as a letter to be passed around to kind of discuss that idea and the issues of it. Second John, which we looked at the last two weeks, uh, was written to another church specifically. So the first letter was written to a bunch bunch of churches, all the churches in the region, to be passed around from then on into eternity. Second John was written to a specific church, to one John knew in particular. We don't know which one, but we he he identifies a single church. Um and he talks about the people of that church, and you know, it's just it's about that. Um, this letter this week, it's it's zoomed in even further, right? So first, first John way out here to everybody. Second John to one specific group of people as a church. This one is written to a specific person. So it's not inconceivable to think that John wrote all three of these at once, right? Like he had one guy deliver. There wasn't a postal service unless you were in the Roman army. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's not out of it's not ridiculous to think that these three were written together and sent out the door at the same time. Um, and so John is is writing this letter. It's very very short. It's only fifteen verses long, um, and he's writing it specifically to a guy named Guy. So let's go ahead and read it all the way through the whole letter, and then we will uh, talk about why John wrote it. And what what's its purpose? Right? How is this different from the other two? So that being said, let's get in. It says the elder. That's John to beloved Gaius. Whom I love in truth. Truth is a big deal. Remember that from the last 13 weeks. Beloved, I pray that all is going well with you and that you are every bit as healthy physically as you are spiritually. I was absolutely delighted, you see, when some of the family arrived and bore witness to your faithfulness since clearly you are walking in the truth. There it is again. Nothing gives me greater joy than this, to hear that my, my children are walking in the truth. Truth is, is important. It's going to be part of our discussion today. 
Beloved, when you are doing all that you do for family members, even when they are strangers, you are doing a faithful work. These people have borne witness to your love in the presence of the assembly, and you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. They are out for the sake they went out for the sake of the name, not accepting help from outsiders. We ought to support people like that so that we may become fellow workers with the truth. I have written something to the assembly, but Diotrephes it's probably not how you pronounce that, who wants to be the most important person there refuses to acknowledge us. So then, if I come, I will refer back to what he has done and the slanderous words he has spoken against us. Not being satisfied with that, he doesn't welcome family members himself. And when others want to do so, he forbids them and throws them out of the assembly. Beloved, don't imitate evil. Imitate good. Someone who does good is from God, and someone who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has been well attested by everybody and by the truth. We join in his testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I don't want to do it with pen and ink. I am hoping instead to see you very soon so that we may talk face to face. Peace be with you. All the friends greet you. Greet all the friends by name. So again, zooming in, right? John's discussed these big topics, this 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 cultural perversion of Christianity, um, and all the things in First John is a lot bigger. Then he wrote to the church, and he discusses some things there that are a little bit more specific to that church. And today, he we're looking at this letter where he writes to a specific person about a specific situation. Now that matters to us. It matters how we understand it. When you write something to be passed around in public. You can't be as specific, right? You can't, you can't imply that people know things, right? We do regardless, right? When you put things on the internet or on Facebook or Instagram, whatever, when you put things out in the world, you're assuming that people understand some things. You're not doing it intentionally, but when we put things out there, we assume people understand the ideas that we're talking about or else we wouldn't put them in there. And so when we read something that's personal or into a specific person, we have to assume we don't know the inside jokes, right? Like we don't know the things that those two know that we're not privy to because we don't know them. We don't know the situation. We're dealing on a first name basis here. So we have to read this with that understanding. And so all we can really tell is that Gaius is probably a leader of a church somewhere in southwest Turkey, and that's it. That's really all the details we have about the guy. Um, we're going to talk about the situation he's dealing with in a minute. But basically, there's something going on that's dealing more with with Gaius than it is with John, right? It's Gaius is having to handle this, and John is writing to him to kind of give him some advice, some wisdom as to how to deal with his situation, as well as to instruct him a little bit with some generic principles in general, which are like kind of the the why behind the what, like why guys should handle the situation the way that John is saying. He kind of discusses that a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, and so the first part of the letter is kind of the the, the information behind. He talks about, he, he's super pumped that Gaius is walking in the truth. And he talks about the members of Gaius's church walking in the truth. If you remember from 1 John, you know that that's a big deal. Um, because truth is not just like you believe something that's true, right? And in regards to Christianity, that would be right doctrine, the things that we think about God, right theology. That is part of it. You have to know the truth. You have to have right doctrine. That's that's part of the reason John is having these problems with these people in the churches in his area, because they're teaching things that aren't right. So right doctrine, truth, right, right, that that ideas are, are important to this. But the way John uses that word truth, it's not just having the right information and believing it. 
it's also that information changing you, right? And that's what Christianity does. That's what a relationship with Jesus does. It changes you. It has to. If it doesn't, you might need to take a step back. Because the way John talks about it is we walk in truth, right? It's never just you believe the truth. It's always you walked in truth as well. Uh, and that the idea of walking in the truth is that you are changed by it and you change the people and the situations around you because of this truth. I mean, that's, that's Christianity summed up in the smallest nutshell, that there is something that is so groundbreaking, so monumental, so earth-shattering, so with such heavy, dense gravity that everything else in your life is now changed by it, right? It affects everything. It sends earthquakes through every part of your life. That's what Christianity does, that the truth of Jesus is that impactful. And John is pumped when he sees Gaius and these other people from Gaius' church walking in that way, that the way they handle themselves when people are looking and when people aren't looking and line up with Christ, that they are showing love to each other. And so that's the why. That's the, the behind the scenes, the philosophy, the doctrine, the whatever, the information, the, the truth behind how guys are supposed to handle this situation. Because when, when Jesus is the center of your life and it has that kind of huge impact on it, how we treat other Christians should be directly influenced by that. And that, that comes up in this situation in regards to hospitality. Hospitality is a big, big deal, especially back then. Today, if you travel, you can book a hotel in advance, right? And you can, you're, you're basically, no matter where you go, you're allowed to book a hotel. Like, nobody can reject you because of what you believe or your skin color or where you're from. Like, you can get a hotel basically anywhere. Uh, and nobody will question it because you just pay and there you go. That wasn't the case back in, in John's day, right? There wasn't this big, huge system of inns and hotels like we have today. Like it was, there were inns back then, but a lot of times they doubled as brothels and other things that Christians and, and Jewish folks should, should not be a part of. Now, Jewish people in particular avoided those. Uh, and we know that from from history that they they built their homes to always have a spare room, especially in Judea, where, where you know the population of Jerusalem during the, the, the festivals, Passover, Pentecost, when those festivals happened, um, the, they, it was expected that you would stay at somebody's house in the region. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way the Jewish and the early Christians thought about things because inns were just places that they couldn't go. It was a place of sin, and you, you couldn't be caught there, really. It wasn't someplace that was an option for you. And so hospitality was important as Christians traveled. John talks about here how some these these early missionaries went about and you know they they didn't accept help from outsiders. Now that doesn't mean that like if like a non-Christian tried to help them that they would be like no, I don't want that. Like no, it was more like they didn't compromise what they believed by going to one of these brothel hotels, right? Like that's that's basically what John is saying here is they didn't compromise their truth. Instead, they relied solely on Christians they encountered as they traveled. If Christians didn't do that, these people would be on the streets, or they would they would be risked. They would put themselves in risky situations. But they relied on Christians, and Christians stepped up. That is what has to happen here, right? Hospitality is the 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 result, the action of walking in the truth of, of Jesus. Because the New Testament speaks over and over and over. The church is to be viewed as a family. You know, we may not know each other, 
But, you know, I know if I go to any of my family members' houses, especially the ones, first, second cousins, et cetera, like just the one, if I go to any of their houses and show up unannounced, chances are I probably will have a place to stay, right? Like even the ones that we don't get along, not that I have any I don't get along with, but, you know, chances are if you show up to a family member's house unannounced and you need a place to stay, they'll give you one. They'll take care of you. They might even feed you, right? That's kind of what's supposed to happen here. If we truly love our family members, our brothers and sisters in the family of Christ, then, yeah, we have to take care of them. The situation here is that diostrephes, diostrephes, diotrephes, again, that's a, it's a difficult name. It's not one that gets used very often, so I haven't heard it much. Um, he is, he's causing problems. He's rejecting this. He is saying to these people he doesn't know, nope, you're not allowed to come stay with us. You're not allowed to be part of our family. You're not allowed to be part of our gatherings. No. And anybody who tries to allow these these reputable, true Christians, like I'm not talking about somebody who comes in out of nowhere, like these people that they can verify, these are Christians. He kicks them out of the church too if these if they welcome these people in. So that's a, he's, he's getting it wrong. Now, if we pick through this with a fine-tooth comb, you could possibly say that Dio, I'm just going to call him Dio because I can't pronounce the name, Dio is is essentially just doing what John said, right? Like John told us in 1 John and 2 John to be very careful about who we let in, that we have to test them, you know, these, these false prophets, these antichrists, anti-Messiah, these people who are teaching things contrary to believe. We have to protect ourselves. We can't just let anybody and anybody come within our, our assemblies, our churches. That's different because that's not who he's rejecting, right? If that's who he was rejecting, John wouldn't be talking about this. Instead, he's rejecting verified Christians, people who are true believers who are walking in the truth. See, churches have this this kind of duality. Some churches are extremely harsh and some churches are too nice, right? The too nice ones just, they, they don't have a backbone. They don't stand up for the truth. They're just whatever you believe is great. You know, it's almost not Christianity at all in a lot of cases because they just, they don't have any doctrinal background. The, the things of faith, the things of salvation, they won't take a stance on. And that's not Christianity. Jesus said very clearly, there's only one way to God the Father, and that's through me. There's no other way, and you have to keep his commands, and his commands are pretty specific. There's not a list of rules, but the, the principles behind them, it's pretty easy to understand how we're supposed to live our lives. It's difficult to do, don't get me wrong, but it's pretty easy to understand how Jesus wants to live, how to keep his commands, and how to get to know him. A lot of churches don't do that. On the other hand, some churches are too strict. Every little detail, it just becomes some giant, you know, judgmental place where if you step out of line, you know, they're going to let you know about it. If you don't exactly believe how we believe, well, you're out, you know, you can't be part of us. That's not right either. In faith, unity. In opinion, liberty. I mean, that's what it boils down to. The things that are non-essential, we're we're allowed to have some opinions. (laughs) But on the things of true doctrine, of true importance, there can't be any change there. And so this was an issue that was common back then because, again, the hotels. Uh, we, we see that shortly after this book was written, right at the beginning of the second century. This book was written in 85, 95, right at the end of the first century. Second century, we have the Didache. I talked about it last week. Um, it's a really, really short book, which is mostly just quotes of already established scripture. 
Um, but in chapters 11 and 12, it's a list detailing how to handle this situation. Basically, it's it's whoever wrote that interpretation of First and Second Thessalonians and First Timothy, where Paul says hospitality does not equal enabling moochers, right? There, there is a limit. Like, and, and so the Didache is a really good example, a really good uh, window into what was going on at that shortly after this, like within 20 years of of what the situation was. Like that that book, the Didache, exists because this was a problem that needed dealt with. You had people mooching off of the generosity of Christians. You know, these churches trying to do what John and Paul told them to do, and people abusing that. And so. The, the, the bottom line here is that we have to have wisdom. We have to have wisdom in how we treat people who claim to be Christians. It's not wrong to ask them what they believe, especially if they're asking for something from you. That is 100% valid. You shouldn't give to every single missionary. You shouldn't give to every single charity. You shouldn't give to every single uh, company out there claiming to be Christian, claiming to do good things, because a lot of them are simply wolves in sheep's clothing. Sheep yeah, sheep's closing. That's the right way to say it. <laughs> I thought, oh no, I said sheep's again. No, I was, sheep is possessive. Wolves and sheep's clothing. Um, it's it's important that we test them. You know, John tells us to do that, but it's also important that we know where the line is. That they're allowed to have differing opinions, different ways of doing things. But if we're on the matters of salvation and faith, we have to be united. And so that gets us to the end of this letter. Um, here, Paul mentions another person, Demetrius. Um, Demetrius is the letter carrier. The, John uses a basically introductory language here, and this is kind of more less specific to the topic that John's talking about, more just understanding the biblical letters better. Um, when you read this kind of language, I commend to you or let me introduce to you so-and-so, that's the person who carried the letter right? And we see that over and over again, especially in Paul's letters. But that's, that's what John is doing. He is, he is recommending the person who is bringing this letter to the reader um, so that they, they know this isn't just some weirdo he got to, who he hired to carry. Like, this is somebody he trusts, right? And he names him. So he, he says Demetrius is somebody that you can trust, basically. He, he verifies him. You know, and, it, and that happened pretty, pretty often, too, that traveling Christians would carry letters that basically do this, so that when they show up and they find a church, um, and when I say find a church, I don't mean they found the church building. I mean they found Christians. Um, they would have a letter saying, hey, so-and-so, who hopefully you guys know, they 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 they're vouching for me. Like this was a common thing. Um, for example, let me read Romans sixteen one and two. This is Paul introducing the letter carrier, the person who brought the letter of Romans to the church. It says, "Let me introduce to you our sister Phoebe. She's a deacon in the church at Cancrea. I want to welcome. Her, I want you to welcome her in the Lord as is proper for one of God's people. Please give her whatever practical assistance she may need from you. She has been a benefactor to many people, myself included. Right." So Paul says, hey, the person that is carrying this letter, her name is Phoebe, um, and she's, she, she's, she's a-okay by me, right? You know, Paul endorses her. That's what John's doing here. And so when you read letters and you come across that, you know, just that's what that is. It's not just like, hey, here's a really good person that I picked randomly to tell you about. No, there's a reason behind it. Uh, and so we get to the end uh, where John kind of ends similarly to uh, he did in Second John, where he basically he just says, you know, I've got a lot more to say, but I'd rather say it in person um, instead of uh, through pen and ink. Um, and then he, he gives them a blessing, and, and that's that. And so 
that's that. <laughs> you know, that's the end of our study of John's letters. Where we go next week, I do not know. Um, but as always, tune tune back in next week and find out. Um, if you have any questions, please reach out to me. Let me know. My contact information is at Um Otherwise, we'll see you next week.